One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. We observe today not a victory of party, but a celebration of freedom. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. The human zoo, where they don't hide away the sick animals. Dangerous mid-morning debate with the great dictator. The independent republic of Mike Graham. Stand to attention when I'm talking to you! On Talk Radio. Dismiss! Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. We have reached the end of yet another week, ladies and gentlemen, and we are now just inches away from a deal to leave the European Union. The Ramona side of the argument has gone very quiet since yesterday when Leo Varadkar and Boris Johnson announced that they are now on a pathway to an agreement. Guess what? Breaking news I can bring you right now. The head of the European Council, Donald Tusk, has told reporters that there are optimistic signs a deal on Brexit can be reached. Isn't that fantastic news? Isn't that brilliant? As I told you weeks ago, the Downing Street project has been convincing everyone to focus on a no-deal Brexit for so long now that everyone is going to have to accept the deal, whatever it is. It's a masterstroke from the evil genius Dominic Cummings and Boris Johnson. In one stroke, they have done away with the lawsuits, the calls for a second referendum, the whining about agreements on workers' rights, and even the threat of a hard border in Northern Ireland. It's literally the end. So now, if you're a Remainer, I want you to call me and officially surrender. It's time to wave the white flag, guys. 0344 499 1000. Coming up, we have a whole host of great guests to talk to. We'll be telling you what your dreams mean. And it's National Album Day tomorrow, so we want your suggestions for music to play. And we'll be asking Grammy Award-winning producer Steve Lillywhite for his choices. He happens to be the producer of The Joshua Tree, by the way, uh, which is obviously one of those albums which a lot of people think should be in there. Plus, it's Friday, so we'll have another sparkling edition of the Perrier Awards, an homage to my brilliance in broadcasting. 0344 499 1000. You're listening to me, Mike Graham, right here on Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. So I have to say, yesterday afternoon, uh, when we saw Boris Johnson and Leo Varadkar emerging from the cops in which they were having their discussion, emerging from the sort of the shrouded, tree-filled arena in which they were discussing Brexit, to be told that they had probably found some way towards a deal. Hang on! What's that sound I hear? Is it the sound of the Brexit countdown clock? I think it might be. The last time we checked in with the Brexit countdown clock, it was going a bit fast. Let's find out now whether it's gone even faster. (laughs) It's definitely going at twice the rate that it was this time last year. I suggest that what that tells you is that we are getting closer to leaving the European Union. Because it's October 31st, in just over about, what, 20 days or so? 
we are going to be leaving the European Union, it looks like, with a deal. Let's talk to Guy Opperman, Conservative MP for Hexham, uh, a man that we have spoken to before on this show, a man who personifies for me the very sensible side of the Tory party and the very sensible side of Parliament. And there's not much of that about. Guy, very good morning to you. Morning, mate. Good to now, be back on the show. Yeah, thank you very much indeed for joining us. It looks as though um, young Mr Johnson and his able assistant, his glamorous assistant, even Dominic Cummings, have pulled a bit of a stroke here. Well, I wouldn't start pouring the Guinness yet. OK. But it does appear that yesterday went very, very, very well. Mm. Um, and there's no doubt that the Irish and the British government had a very successful summit yesterday. And I think we are finding, slowly but surely, a way around the key problem in this, which is the backstop. Yes. And if we can find a way around the backstop, we will definitely be leaving with a deal on October the 31st. Now, does this mean that all of the kind of bluster of yesterday <laughs> and the talk from uh, Brussels of how this is going to be very, very difficult but possible, uh, that Guy Verhofstadt saying that, you know, we want to keep London European, all of that kind of rhetoric was all just that rhetoric? Uh, well, I think there is a danger that people overspeak and overtalk um, and don't let the negotiators get on with it. Mm -hmm. And clearly some people have agendas. But at the same stage, I do feel there is a real willingness on all parts to try and find a middle ground. And I think that is compromise is a, is a word that I think really needs to be supported right now. And there is a compromise forward on a tricky situation. And it is tricky. This, under no circumstances can this be described as easy. Um, to find a way whereby we can maintain the Good Friday Agreement, where we can maintain no hard border, and we can maintain uh, the free movement of, um, of uh, goods in circumstances that it comes within customs arrangements, that is really difficult. But I do think it is doable, and I'm very encouraged by yesterday. I'm encouraged by the positivity of Leo Varadkar, the uh, Irish leader, and also by the fact that they're continuing the negotiations uh, today in Brussels. There is an expression you're going to hear a lot of, Mike, uh, called the tunnel. Yes. Which is, uh, it's, it sounds a little more glamorous than it is, um, but the reality... Is I'm sorry, the tunnel never sounds glamorous, I have to tell you. <clears throat> well, in this circumstance <laughs> it is, because if these negotiations enter what the EU calls the tunnel, then we're in a position that they are absolutely in the final details of the deal. And the deal is fundamentally in relation to how you resolve customs and uh, arrangements in Northern Ireland. And if we can get that over the next uh, three or four days, particularly leading up to the EU summit next Thursday, Friday, then I really think we are, um, if not home and dry, then absolutely heading in the right direction. Now, obviously, an awful lot of this depends upon Parliament and depends upon the will of Parliament to pass a deal uh, or to vote on a deal in a majority, because up till now they haven't done it. What sort of confidence level do you think you could have about Labour, about Lib Dems, uh, of course, who have vowed to reverse Article 15, reverse Brexit altogether, and even the SNP? Well, I think the Lib Dems are a, uh, a lost cause, frankly. Yeah. Um, the SNP, uh, they are what they are. Um, don't get me started on them. But the <laughs> truth is, there is a lot of Labour MPs who are fundamentally Democrats, whose constituencies voted to leave, or who accept the result of the referendum. And I believe that provided we can find a way around um, the Northern Irish backstop, there are a lot of Labour MPs who would be perfectly willing to support uh, a negotiated deal by way which yet we exit. I think the crucial bit is going to be next Saturday. So um, everybody wants politicians to work harder. So next Saturday, it's almost certain that we will be in the House of Commons uh, debating things and going forward. And if there is uh, sufficient progress or something for us to vote upon 
in a deal next Saturday, then I'm pretty sure we will be uh, sitting down and doing some votes. Yeah, and sadly, I may have to work that day as well, if you guys are, so uh, you're ruining my family uh, weekend. And uh, you better get something. It better be worth. It better be worthwhile. Is all I'm saying. Let's not have another day of talk about you know whether we can use the word surrender for twelve hours. Well, I accept that, but at the same stage, I do feel that it is uh, really important we bring this to a close. I voted three times for a deal. I wish more people had voted for that. Um, but at the same stage, I accept that the reason lots of people didn't vote for it is because the Northern Irish backstop was not resolved. If right. that can be resolved, I think things change dramatically. Of course. And I think there are plenty of people who will tell you, as I'm sure you've heard, Guy, um, that it is resolvable. Um, you know, David Trimble himself has said that the actual deal proposed by Boris Johnson most recently uh, takes care of that very well and that we should not be in any way sort of shy of setting up technological borders which are not, in effect, a hard border. Yeah, I'm absolutely sure you're right. There is a great capability for Northern Ireland to continue in EU legislation relating to agricultural, other products. But we have to take the Northern Irish community on board with us as well. And the proposal is that uh, every four years there should be a consent agreement by the Northern Irish politicians. Mm -hmm. And that I genuinely feel is a way forward. It's a good compromise. And if we can decentralise, as they call it, the paperwork, uh, such that there are very few physical checks on or near the border, then, again, we are making sure there's no hard border, that there is customs arrangements as, as is required, but we have actually got the free movement of um, um, business on an ongoing basis. Now, yes. it, it's all doable. And I think they're looking at examples in Europe. You know, people will, will wonder how it is that uh, Switzerland and Norway are able to exist without hard borders. I accept that they may be in different arrangements there, but it is doable, in my view, and I think there is a lot of positivity from all parties on this particular issue. Also, is it not the case, if you are going to be hard and fast about all of this, that in Europe they don't want us to leave without a deal, and Ireland does not want us to leave without a deal, in the end it's in their interest, as much as it is in ours, to get a deal? Uh, well, we're talking to the Republic of Common Sense, and you're right. It's a simple answer to that. Yes, it is in everybody's interest to find a deal. It does not benefit anybody uh, for us to be leaving on no deal. And anybody who starts to say no deal is a good outcome for everybody is wrong. They, they genuinely, a deal is a better outcome uh, on an ongoing basis if we can sort this out. OK. Now, I understand you've also been involved in some education uh, legislation as well, because, of course, a lot of people think you guys don't do anything else apart from talking about Brexit. But very briefly, yeah, well, I know you've got to run, but tell us what you've been doing. Sure. Well, no, it's just very good news. The Prime Minister's announcement of £4,000 for every first or primary school and £5,000 for every high school, secondary school will make a massive difference across the country. It's a levelling up of education funding. And for any mum or dad who's taking their kids to school or any teacher, they will tell you that there are communities, mine in Northumberland, uh, Devon, Gloucestershire, Barnsley, where education funding has lapsed below those, le those levels for a very long period of time. This okay. is really good news. There's okay. no question. And one final question I have to ask you guys. National Album Day tomorrow. What's your favourite album? Uh, easy answer... The uh, original Greatest Hits of Elton John from 1974, brought to me by my parents for Christmas. Uh, I played that album probably a thousand times, virtually every day. Wow. Um, and it's got amazing things from Rocket Man, Candle in the Wind, Saturday Night's All Right for Fighting, uh, fantastic songs. 
uh, on it, and it's just the best album he ever did, bar none. Tremendous. Thank you very much indeed. Guy Offerman there, uh, Tory MP for Hoxham, Hexham, I should say, rather, uh, telling us that his favourite album, and we want this from all of you today, because we're going to play music from all the best albums that people send in to suggest as suggestions. Some of them, I have to say, are quite ludicrous, and I'm not even going to entertain them. For example, no album by Ted Nugent is going to make the list, OK? So don't even think about it. That's my word. Uh, we'll be playing lots of other stuff indeed. I've got breaking news for you. Uh, the Nobel Peace Prize winner has been announced, and it is not Greta Thunderbird. Thank goodness. It is the Ethiopian Prime Minister, Abiy Ahmed, who in fact has probably done quite a lot more uh, for uh, peace than uh, Greta Thunderbird, who was last heard to say, how dare you not give me the Nobel Peace Prize? Also, uh, let's have a listen to Donald Tusk, who has come forward apparently and said this. There are no more chances for a deal during the incoming European Council. However, yesterday when the Irish Taoiseach and the UK Prime Minister met, they both saw for the first time a pathway to a deal. I have received promising signals from the Taoiseach that a deal is still possible. Promising signals from the Taoiseach. It's happening, ladies and gentlemen. We're leaving the European Union. Cheerio. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection. Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss.
The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. And welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. Daily Express this morning has a very interesting headline surrounding a picture of Boris Johnson and Leo Varadkar walking around in the garden of their Cheshire meeting yesterday. Has Boris only gone and done it, is the question. Well, I think he might just well have done that. You know, they're all saying there could be a deal. Even uh, Donald Tusk over in Brussels has said today uh, there could be a pathway to a deal. It could be possible. It could be done. Suddenly, they're all blinking. Suddenly, Boris looks as though he is, in fact, a genius. And all the Ramonas, of course, have got nothing to say about it. They're all, they've all gone really quiet. Even the ones in this office don't know what to say because it looks like they've lost. 0344-499-1000 is the number. Coming up in this hour, uh, we are going to talk about dreams because did you know the strangers in your dreams are actually real people? Uh, we'll be telling you precisely what your dreams mean and if they're particularly scary, you should be very scared. That's the message we're getting uh, from the dream experts. Also, uh, we'll be talking to the editor of the Sunday Times magazine, Eleanor Mills. She's going to tell us what's coming up this weekend in her fine organ and we'll be talking to Norman Lamb about the legalisation of cannabis. Is it time? Should it be done? Will it do any more harm than we've already got going on in this country, particularly given the news yesterday that London is now the cocaine capital of Europe? You're listening to me, Mike Graham, right here on Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Imagine the scenes of weeping and wailing that will go on uh, if, in fact, the Ramonas find out that there is a deal, that the European Union can agree a deal, and that the parliamentarians of this country can agree a deal. They'll have nothing more to say. They'll have nothing more to complain about. They'll have nothing more to whine about. They'll have nobody to poke fun at. They won't be able to call anybody bigots and racists because it will be the European Union that has agreed the deal. So if you want to call us bigots and racists, then I'm afraid you'll have to call the Europeans bigots and racists. But that will be, of course, against the law. So you won't be able to do it. I love a Ramona sandwich. I think it's going terribly well. Let's talk to Sir Norman Lamb, MP for North Norfolk, a man who has campaigned, I would say, strenuously and very consistently for the legalisation of cannabis. There's a new report out this morning uh, in which it says, uh, thanks to Voltface and Radix, cannabis rules criminalise children, putting them at increased risk of harm. Uh, let's talk to Sir Norman. Norman, a very good morning to you. Good morning. Thanks very much indeed for joining us. Um, you. you have been a very sort of um, staunch advocate for the legalisation of cannabis for quite a long time. I was yeah. shocked yesterday, but not terribly shocked, to discover uh, that we are apparently in London now the cocaine capital of Europe. More disturbingly than that uh, was the fact that so much of the drug is coming into this country and so much of it is being consumed by almost everybody in almost every layer of society. That's right. And uh, my starting point, incidentally, I should say, is that I'm instinctively quite hostile to uh, risky use of drugs, whether they're legal or illegal. Yes. Uh, and so I'm not someone who, through my dark past, has um, used a whole range of drugs. Mm. I haven't. Um, uh, but I, the, the approach that I take is based on public health, that uh, Fighting a war on drugs, as we do uh, in this country and across most of the Western world, uh, ends up having catastrophic consequences. And uh, a, an awful lot of this horrific violence that we see on our streets in London, the gun and knife crime, mm. uh, a lot of it is associated with the illegal drug trade. Uh, every effort over the last three, four decades to eradicate drugs from society has completely failed. Uh, and so... Uh, I say, as someone who believes very strongly in using evidence to make uh, policy, that we should think again about this. Are we doing this in the best possible way? And when uh, teenagers in London, for example, 
get cannabis on the streets. They are getting the most potent strains, uh, putting their mental health potentially at serious risk. Uh, and it seems to me a far better approach with cannabis, as they have done in Canada, is to get the criminals out of the market, undermine organized crime, uh, regulate it, control and cap the potency of the product that's available. And in that way, you can protect the health and well-being of teenagers. And of course, what we also know is that so many teenagers end up uh, getting involved in sometimes uh, horrific violence, mm. which sometimes ends fatally. Uh, and so I think by legalizing and regulating, we can both protect teenagers' health but also reduce the level of extreme violence in our often the poorest communities in our country. Do you think, Norman, that uh, it's a gateway drug as well? Because people talk about this all the time, whether cannabis is the kind of the first thing that you get offered yeah. as a teenager, and then yeah. suddenly the same person that offered you that turns exactly. out to be the same person that gets you the cocaine. Yeah. So the evidence is quite mixed on how much of an effect that uh, has. But certainly if you were to legalise, then you would break that uh, link because uh, people would be able to buy legally. So I've been in Toronto. I've been into the state uh, dispensary. It's a very boring sort of place. You mm. get it in a brown paper bag, but you're not getting it from the same dealer who's trying to sell you cocaine or right. something uh, worse. And. Uh, there's another aspect of this I also just wanted to mention. I have many constituents, many men in their middle ages who suffer from all sorts of chronic conditions, uh, fibromyalgia, uh, rheumatoid arthritis and so forth. And they find that cannabis uh, eases their pain and is more effective than the very dangerous opiates that mm. are available on our NHS. And yet when they get cannabis for that medicinal use to relieve pain, every time they buy it, they risk prosecution, and that seems to me to be particularly stupid. Could we not go down that road, though, of making medicinal cannabis legal, which I thought we kind of had, but it turns out it's a bit more complicated than that. Yeah. Uh, so we, we, we absolutely should be making medicinal cannabis legal. The government announced last year uh, that they were going down that route. Yeah. But since then, uh, there's only been a handful, literally, probably on the fingers of two hands, prescriptions issued. Mm under the NHS. So there's a family that I uh, talked to in Norwich who've got a little boy who has epilepsy. Um, cannabis oil helps him. But still, a year after the government so apparently legalised cannabis for medicinal purposes, they can't get a prescription under the NHS. So they're having to spend a fortune bringing it in from uh, the Netherlands. And this family doesn't have loads of money. And yet this, uh, the, the cannabis oil, is having a massive positive yeah. impact on their little boys' but why? But why is it so difficult? Because I know that, that sort of cause celebre from Northern Ireland that, that we all remember yeah. uh, was, yeah. was a case in point where um, she said, even after the ruling, that she was still finding it difficult to get GPs to give her the cannabis oil prescriptions that she needed. So why is there a hold-up here? Why is there so much confusion if the government supposedly has made that possible? Yeah, so the government uh, has made clear that GPs can't prescribe. It, it can only be um, consultant specialists. Okay. Um, so that immediately makes it more difficult mm. to access. Uh, and then the other very important factor is that because none of these um, cannabis uh, products are, have gone through the full medicinal uh, licensing process, they 
take on their own personal liability if anything was to go wrong. And so most doctors, and you can't criticize them for this, uh, fear the consequences of prescribing and being personally legally liable and so refuse to prescribe. And so you end up with virtually no prescriptions under the NHS and only people who have money getting access to this uh, product. And, you know, you go across to Canada. Canada's not a, an extreme country. It's a, in many respects, it's a rather boring country. Uh, they've, it's been legal now for both recreational use and medicinal use uh, since um, uh, last autumn. Right. Uh, and the world hasn't caved in. Adults can make their own choice. If they want to use cannabis for medicinal purposes, they can choose to do so. And uh, and that means that all these people who suffer acute pain have access to a product which for many will help them a lot. Is it long enough, though, to study the, the sort of long-term effects of cannabis? Because I'm, I'm like you. I was out in California at the beginning of this year where one of my kids lives, and yep. the legalisation of marijuana in that part of the world yep. has had a similar effect. There hasn't, there hasn't been a massive increase in, in crime. Um, it's, I find it quite unsettling when you're driving down uh, Hollywood Boulevard to suddenly see a sign for some particular <laughs> brand of cannabis, you know. Yep. Um, yep. And then you see the shops like the superstores that are selling all the different kinds of it. And then I drove out to the desert, Palm Desert, they were advertising land for sale for growing cannabis on... Quite weird. One of the things that people told me there was that there's an awful lot of people driving around stoned, which might not be great for the for society in general. Well, we need to... Anybody who acts irresponsibly by uh, using cannabis and driving, just as we do with uh, people who drink and drive, the law needs to come down on them very heavily. It's yeah. absolutely clear about that. But, of course, because uh, about 25% of the adult population in... Uh, the United Kingdom has used cannabis at some point. Right. It, it happens even when the criminals are in charge of the market. Sure. We need to be very clear about the rules on driving whilst under the influence, whatever the... Uh, yeah, but I think, I think, and you'll agree with this, I'm sure, you know, the more you legalise something, the more likely you increase the normalcy of it, if you like, and so people will continue to see it as a normal thing to do rather than a dangerous and illegal thing to do. Well, so the interesting thing is that uh, in the States, they've just done a major study published in one of their medical journals, which shows that for teenagers, uh, high school age teenagers, use has gone down where it has been legalized. It's probably less exciting, less uh, uh, audacious to go out and use cannabis if it's just another legal product. Mm. But also, if you undermine the criminal market and you introduce a minimum age for legal sale, then you actually make it more difficult for teenagers to get hold of it. Mm. Uh, Use amongst adults might go up, but of course, if you're regulating it and capping potency, then you can ensure that the product people are buying is safe to use. And, uh, you know, we've been able with cigarettes, uh, with tobacco, to actually significantly reduce uh, use, not through banning, but through good public health messages, through stopping people smoking in workplaces and so on. So you, you are able, with a legal product, to have an impact on behaviour. And we ought to be behaving in the same way with cannabis as we, should with, as we do with any other uh, product, such as alcohol. Alcohol causes far more harm to society uh, than cannabis ever will. And yet, you know, uh, the, the exchequer makes a, a fortune out of the sale of alcohol, um, and uh, as do the drink companies. So we just need to be consistent in our attitude uh, and make sure that uh, we take tax revenues from the sale of 
of cannabis, which can be used to fund our police, our NHS, our schools, uh, and we ensure that we protect the health of particularly teenagers who are at risk by buying on the street from criminals who have no interest in your welfare. No, of course not. I mean, one of the other offshoots of it as well, which is a report I saw on Channel 4 News a few weeks back, is that the people who used to grow uh, all the marijuana in Mexico for importation into the US have given up growing that now because they say there's no money in it anymore, there's no point, they've legalised it. They're, they've now turned to sort of artificial heroin, which they're now manufacturing, which is far more dangerous and far more addictive and far more ghastly, and it's killing a lot of people in the southwestern states of America. And I know that it's a kind of unintended consequence, but it's something yeah. to think about. It certainly is, and we, we also need to work out a, a sensible and effective approach to all other uh, illegal uh, substances. Mm. Uh, and the, 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 the prime uh, sort of public policy, in my view, with all of these things is how do we most effectively reduce harm and how do we get criminals out of the market? Those, those two factors should, should be the driving force, it seems to me. Right. And as far as the, 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 the sort of the immediate problem in London specifically, although it's happening in other parts of Britain as well, the knife crime problem um, and the access to drugs that young children have in this country, um, do you think that would d sort of diminish if you were to legalise cannabis? Well, yes, um, I, I do. The, the, cannabis, the, the criminal cannabis market in this country is worth one to three billion pounds, something like wow. that. So organised crime is making a fortune out of it. And if you think about it, if, if a particular supplier is serving a, uh, a housing estate and someone else moves in on their patch, they don't go to the High Court to no. do that. They use extreme violence. We well, can't get into the High Court these days for all the Remainers trying to uh, stop Brexit. <laughs> you know, there's no room on the orders paper. <laughs> <laughs> That's another whole story. Yeah, I know. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, um, but listen, um, it's, it's an interesting uh, story. Are you going to be in a position, perhaps, to, are, you gonna, are you thinking about bringing a private member's bill, or, or what, what can you do? So we, don't, we have no idea how long this Parliament will continue. Uh, but in the ballot uh, for uh, the new session following the Queen's speech, I will be putting in uh, an, uh, my own application. And uh, if I get it, I would intend to bring in a bill to uh, legalise, certainly for medicinal purposes, mm. in an effective way that enables people to actually get prescriptions that they need. OK. And just finally, Sir Norman, uh, we're asking everybody today for their favourite album because it's uh, Name Your Favourite Album Day Tomorrow. Uh, I don't know whether you've been given a heads up on this, but, yeah, but have, what, would it, what would it be if, it, if I were to well, ask I've, you? I've always been a massive fan of Van Morrison, and uh, I'd go for Astral Weeks, which is Brilliant. a very critically acclaimed album when it came yeah. out. Yeah, terrific album. Great stuff. Thank you very much. Sir Norman Lamb, MP for North Norfolk, a Van Morrison fan. A couple of other suggestions for you here. By the way, says Zane from the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Uh, and also, what about Joy Division, says Steve. Unknown Pleasures. That's not bad. What's going on? Marvin Gaye. So the thing is, right, there's just too much great music. It's almost impossible, isn't it, to name one album. But we're going to do our best to try and get there. Maybe by the end of the show, when we have our guest Steve Lillywhite on, he can uh, sort of help us to crown the best album of all time because, of course, he is the producer of one of the best albums of all time, The Joshua Tree, uh, by U2 and many others. Uh, this is a guy who's got six Grammys, so I think we can trust his judgment, can't we? 0344 499 1000 is the number to call us on. Moses is in Bridge End, wants to talk cannabis. Hi, Moses. Hi, you, Mike. How are you doing, man? Is Norman's good there? Sorry? 
Is Norman still on the line? Norman? No, he's not, unfortunately. He's gone. Oh, right, OK. Well, I just wanted to say, basically, that um, we should legalise all drugs. OK. Isn't there well, a danger a... when you do that, though? Because you then make everything kind of um, OK, as it were. Well, yeah, that, that's it, Mike. If, um, can, uh, if heroin was legal tomorrow, are you going to go out and take it? No, I'm not, but my son might. <laughs> No, he won't. Why would he? Well, because he's 15 and he, he might be a bit of an idiot at times. He'd be able to get hold of it. It would be an over-21 thing. It would be regulated. And Now, I'm not saying that there isn't teenagers and kids that are getting hold of drugs, they're getting hold of alcohol. Yeah. We know, yeah, but we do regulate it, yeah? Alcohol, one of the worst drugs in the world. Everybody can get hold of it. Sure, yeah. but that's what I mean. If you suddenly made uh, heroin legal, right, I'm sure he and his mates would find some way of getting hold of it, whereas now he'd have to break the law. He'd have to go to some dodgy crack house or something to buy it, which he's not going to do. Yeah, but would you think he'd go out and do it? Most sensible people... Well, hopefully not. hopefully not, but what I'm saying is, is by making it basically um, sort of, you know, OK and, and giving it state recognition and giving it, you know, officialdom... People will go, oh, I'm not breaking the law anymore. I'll give it a go. Uh, OK, so you're saying that every teenager in the country goes out and drinks. I don't. Think no, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that it might oh. increase the likelihood that people who would not otherwise break the law would try the drug because it's no longer illegal. OK, on that model, then, you're looking at, say, like the um, prohibition in America, yeah? Yeah. After, it was made, after, after prohibition was gone, there was a little bit of a party, I'm sure there was. Yeah. But it didn't suddenly go where everybody was drunk every single day of the week. No, that's because they already had been during Prohibition. <laughs> Maybe, but also, the fact of the matter is that you can smoke every single day and you're, and alcohol is still legal. The war on drugs, just just put that statement out there. The oh, war I know. on drugs. For how many years now? For how many years? 50, 60 years? Oh, God, for it, certainly as long as I can remember. Exactly. And, 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 we're made... not, and we're not winning it. I take your point. I agree with you. And what, have we made any slight dent in it whatsoever? It's absolutely... No. Ridiculous. Well, I mean, and... as I said, it's actually now worse than ever. We are now the cocaine capital of Europe. Exactly. But also, um, who is stopping cannabis being legal in this country? I'm, I'm sure I've heard... I've, I've read about it, and I'm sure it's, it's true, that this country grows more cannabis for export than any other country in Europe. Yeah. Well, I think I'm right in saying that the drugs, the drugs minister, the former, I think she might still be the drugs minister's husband, runs a very successful uh, cannabis growing uh, legal business. That's exactly right, Mike. And how can I be arrested for it? Well, it makes no sense to me. Honestly, Moses, it makes no sense to me, but I don't know what the answer is. And I'm unsure about the use of cannabis and the overuse of cannabis. And I don't know whether we should be encouraging it. Why are we not looking at the models of Amsterdam, Canada, like we said, America, where it hasn't gone completely ridiculous? The government would make money out of this. We could open up little coffee shops. Yeah, but we're different here. Why is it, for example, that, that cocaine is mostly used in this country more than in any other city in Europe? Why is that? I can't answer that one, but drugs are really good. That's the problem. Yeah, well, they are. But the point is that the point is that though that why in in Britain do we behave in a different way to the way that people behave in Amsterdam? You know what it's like. I mean, you can go to Amsterdam any day of the week and not go anywhere near a drugs cafe, and people are very chilled out. You go into a bar, you don't see people arguing, you don't see people fighting, you don't see people stabbing each other. You know why have we got these problems? Uh, because it's illegal. Don't. No, uh, no, that's not true. That's rubbish, man. No, it's not. The reason that we are having a stabbing epidemic in this country is because of who we are. 
The reason we take more cocaine than anybody else in Europe is because of who we are. There is something wrong with the people of this country. Give us a choice. Let us make our own decisions. Yeah, but they can, you can make your decisions in Lisbon. You can do it in Switzerland. You can do it in Germany. You can do it in Italy. Nobody does what we do. They don't go around stabbing each other. They don't go around snorting more coke than anybody else. Because, because there's so much money illegally to be made No, you, you, you have, you, listen, you there. can't give me a pat answer to everything, Moses. There's a proper problem here that we need to discuss, and it won't be fixed by simply legalising all drugs. All right, what about just legalising cannabis, then? Well, I don't have a problem with that necessarily, but I don't know that it's the... I don't, you see, I'm old enough to understand that sometimes you don't always have the answer. No, no, I agree with that, and there isn't an answer. But like, like my, one of my earlier statements was, the war on drugs, it doesn't work. No, it doesn't. Well, that's one thing we can agree on, Moses. I've got to leave it there. Thank you very much indeed. Fascinating conversation, fascinating subject, fascinating that we can't really find an answer, because I don't know what the answer is, and I'm quite happy to admit that. When I don't have the answer... And I'm happy to say I don't know. I am an anti I am an anarchist. Don't know what I want, but I know how to get it. I want to destroy, possibly, because I want to be an archaeologist. Sounds quite quaint now, doesn't it? Not dangerous at all, really. People were scared of the sex pistols when they first came out. 0344 499 1000. How about Full Moon Fever by Tom Petty, says Dave. Uh, that is a great album. How about Green River, Creedence Clearwater Revival, says Paul. Uh, and someone else who has gone obviously completely and utterly bonkers uh, has gone uh, Penthouse and Pavement by Heaven 17. That's not happening, I'm afraid. Uh, also, of course, uh, I forgot to ask Moses what was his favourite album. I've got a feeling it might have been something by The Grateful Dead. Let's talk to Ian Wallace uh, right now, who's a psychologist and dream expert talking about The Grateful Dead, uh, because apparently a study in Australia has said that the strangers in your dreams are actually real people. Ian, a very good morning to you. Morning, Mike. How are you today? Very well indeed. Now, nothing excites me more than talking about dreams, because I, when I was quite a young man, read Freud's Book of Dreams... Um, so I like to think that I can now interpret almost every dream that I ever have. Trouble is, I don't remember most of them, um, and I don't have that many scary ones. Yeah, so we all dream, Mike. We all dream for about two hours per night. Yes. We tend to have about five dream episodes, so we spend a twelfth of our lives dreaming. The re reason you don't remember your dreams is as soon as you start to physically move, you will lose dream imagery. Right. So if you want to remember your dreams, all you have to do is remember three words, which are will, still, and fill. Right. So tonight when you go to bed, when you lay your head on your pillow, say, tonight I will remember a dream or part of a dream. That sets the intention to do that. And then when you wake up, whenever that is, just lie completely still. Mm. Don't look at the time. Don't chat to anyone. Don't even wiggle your toes. As soon as you start to move, you will lose dream imagery. Interesting. And as you lie there still you'll have some dream images coming back and all you have to do is fill in the gaps between them and you've got a dream narrative emerging. So and, we'll and is it wise? Build. I mean, can you write it down or is that too much movement? Uh, you can do, but as soon as you start to write it down, you'll probably get part of a dream. If you do that quite often, then you'll get into the habit of doing it and you'll get a bit more. Uh, a good thing to have is uh, a voice-activated recording app on your phone okay. or whatever you have beside your bed and you right. just chat into it and then do it that way. Right, interesting. I mean, one of the things that I do do quite a lot, occasionally, I'm told, is is to uh, talk in my sleep. I don't know whether that has anything connection, any connection to a dream or whether it's just the fact that I'm just a rambling old fool. 
Uh, let's go for the dream <laughs> rather than the rambling old fool option, right? Okay. Uh, so the so what happens in the dream when there's something in the dream? The dream fundamentally is how you process your emotions. Right. So if there's something, if you have some uh, emotional paradox or dilemma or a wee bit of tension, it doesn't have to be anything bad mm. from during the day then the way you do that is to dream about it and work through it. And if it's something particularly emotional that you feel you need to speak up about in a waking life, then okay. you probably will start chatting about it in your dreams. And so when you can see somebody, like uh, this study has said, a stranger in your dream that might be doing something or might be active in your dream, as it were, you're trying to chase them or they're chasing you or you know, you're talking to somebody, can you identify that they represent some kind of uh, issue? Yes. So the dream doesn't happen to us. We happen to the dream, Mike, and we create everything in it. So the dream is the ultimate self. It's, it's a portrait of who you are, what you need and what you believe. Mm-hmm. So all the people in the dream are parts of your own character, parts of your own identity. Right. And when you dream of a stranger, then there's some part of yourself that you are unfamiliar with that usually signifies some opportunity in waking life where you can develop some part of yourself in the self-development process. Right to achieve some sort of outcome that's favourable for mm. you. Because people talk to you about the sorts of kind of common type dreams, you know, like walking down a street and turns out you're naked, which obviously means that you're somehow worried about something or all your teeth fall out and you're worried about going out into the public and all of that. Those are quite common, aren't they? Yeah, so that's the fourth most common dream and the second most common dream. So the way that we work with dreams is not to do it literally, but just to work with the image and the symbolism. Mm. So what, what your clothes symbolise are the image that you present to the world, and it's a way of covering up your vulnerability. So if you dream that you're naked in public, there's a situation in waking life where you're going into a new situation usually. So it could be a new job, a new relationship, something like that, where you feel a bit vulnerable, and you're just trying to hide behind that. But the, the only way to really connect with people is to open up to them. And it doesn't necessarily mean you have to go open kimono and wake in life, but you just have to open up a bit more right. and let them see the real you. And and is and is that kind of cathartic? If you if you are dreaming that, are you actually solving it at the same time? Yes. Yeah, so what the dream is doing is is, is indicating that's an opportunity to do that. If you don't do that, if you keep closed up in waking life and don't let people start to find out more about you and open up to them like that you'll keep having that dream, that dream will recur. Mm. But, but as soon as you show a little bit of vulnerability or, or disclose something perhaps a bit more personal about yourself, then that dream will fade away. Okay. And you said that's the second and fourth most popular dreams. What are the first and third then? So the, the, the most common dream, and as far as we know it has been for tens of thousands of years, is something that you mentioned a little bit earlier, which is being chased. Right. And the third most common dream is not being able to find a toilet or some issue around toilet trouble. Oh, really? Okay. I don't think I've ever had that. Yeah, it, it's more common uh, uh, amongst women. Right. And, and the reason for that is women tend to have to look after other people more and attend to other people's needs, right. just, as, just as mothers. And because of that, they tend not to attend to their own needs. Okay. So when you dream about not being able to find a toilet. There's some issue in waking life where you're always looking after other people and not really looking after yourself as much right. as you could. And what about the chasing one? If you're being chased, what is that representing? So again, we, we work with the image and the symbolism, particularly with language. So we have this word in our language, pursuit. And a pursuit is being chased or chasing something. Yeah. So when you dream that you're being chased, there's something in waking life, some ambition that you are pursuing and you're encountering some challenges around it. 
And whoever is pursuing you in the dream or whatever is pursuing you allows you to identify that challenge and actually engage with it in waking up. Okay. And can you kind of affect your dreams, if you like? I know you said before, before you go to sleep, you say something to yourself about the remembrance of what's going to happen, but can you actually affect what type of dream you have before you go to sleep? Well, there's a, a, a really lovely process that we can all learn. We actually all do it naturally twice a night. It's called lucid dreaming, Mike. Uh -huh. And in a lucid dream, you become aware that you are dreaming. Right. I, and one of the things I do with my clients, particularly if they are having disturbing dreams like nightmares and particularly the chase dream, there's something you can do in that dream. So in a nightmare, you always just want to wake yourself up. But in that moment, if you can turn around to your pursuers in the dream and say, who are you and what do you need? Mm then that gives you a lot of empowerment in waking life. So lucid dreaming is the ability to make choices in your dreams. So you can imagine that you're in some really unsettling, not particularly interesting urban environment and you become aware that you're dreaming and instantly transport yourself to a tropical island okay. as a partner of your choice. And does this happen throughout life? I mean, children obviously have nightmares sometimes and, you know, we've all been there where your child wakes up sort of, you know, scared of something or other. Um, do, do kids dream differently or is it all the same thing? Children dream a, a bit differently. They, they become more aware that there's a, a, um, they are separate from the outside world between the ages of two and four. And, and their dreams get progressively more sophisticated and more complex. Right. Children tend to dream uh, much, much more because they have got so much more to learn, so much more to process. And uh, a baby up to about six months, just virtually all of its sleep is dreaming sleep because mm. it's constantly processing new experience. Right. What about dogs? I know this is a slight uh, detour, but um, <laughs> my dog, my Labrador, right, will occasionally be lying on the, on the carpet and he starts kind of twitching like he's running in, in his sleep, right? And I'm yeah. always assuming that he's dreaming that he's being chased by something. Yeah, or, or he's chasing something. Maybe it's, he's chasing uh, me. Yeah, he's maybe... Well, you will figure uh, a lot in his dreams. Now, we're going a bit kind of Californian, pointy hat and stuff. <laughs> stuff That's here. all right. <laughs> but but that, uh, that is the inference, that if you observe different animals while they're sleeping, so a dog will appear to run. Yeah. And, and, and sniff and smell, because that's what a dog will do. You know, when you take your dog out for a walk and let it off the lead, that's immediately what it does. Right. If, you, if you watch a cat dreaming, the cat tends to have very, very subtle, quiet, steady leg movements. Its tail will be twitching because mm. it will be stalking something, because that's what cats right. do. Okay. So, so it suggests that they are pursuing something, and in the same way that we have, that we take in all our experiences and process them, I would imagine that's what a dog and a cat is yeah. doing as well. It's fascinating stuff. I could talk to you all day, In Maybe you should come in one day and we can uh, we can sort of talk it through over the course yeah. and take some calls from people because people love this kind of stuff. But listen, we've got to run because we're out of time. But before I let you go, uh, you've got to tell me um, about your um, uh, favourite album. And don't say it's Dreams by Fleetwood Mac. No, that's, I just I get that played every time. So I'm very <laughs> pleased that you, you haven't played that as I've come on the air, Mike. Uh, so my favourite album is, it's a bit of a golden old, it's from 1967, and it's Are You Experienced by Jimi Hendrix. Jimi Hendrix, wonderful, brilliant, fantastic. Ian, listen, great pleasure to talk to you. Thank you very much indeed. Jimi Hendrix, let's get some of that going. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Perrier Awards.
slightly later than advertised, so you might have to rush through them, obviously. Oh, yes, um, absolutely. I suppose I have to ask you what your favourite album is before we go any further. Uh, yeah, mine is uh, Whatever People Say I Am, That's What I'm Not by The Arctic Monkeys. The Arctic Monkeys. Monkeys. And now, interesting, is that not the first album that we've had nominated from this century? Uh, if I'm yes, not mistaken. I believe so. I think someone on Twitter put in Hot Fuss by uh, The Killers. Well, we're not having that. Okay. I'm, I'm, I'm basically compiling a top ten to give to uh, Steve Lillywhite, and I'll put the Arctic Monkeys on there, because I know he likes them. So, so far, I've got The Joshua Tree, Abbey Road, Dark Side of the Moon, Ziggy Stardust, Definitely Maybe, that album from the Arctic Monkeys, which has got a very long title. Yes. And I'll add in probably Van Morrison uh, to that, I would imagine. Jimi Hendrix, I think. Oh, great, yeah. Uh, maybe a Led Zeppelin one. Perhaps. Oh, nice. Anyway, Absolutely. let's anyway. get on with it. Yes, <laughs> welcome once more to the Perry Awards. This is where we go back over the past week of the so-called Independent Republic of Mike Graham so and called. choose our favourite moments. After a meeting of the awards committee yesterday, we came away with some optimism that we were going to reach an agreement that has now gone into tunnelling stages. And uh, <laughs> we Very do good. have our winners. And I'm Don't glad... say we're not up to date. <laughs> I'm glad we uh, to say that the results have been kept a closely guarded secret and that's not even a footballer's wife could find out so let's begin as is tradition the first one goes to you mike thank you goodness. win the perrier for the presenter of the week for being so good at your job of talking thank you we've got the deputy assistant commissioner of the met coming in as well to explain police policy on those climate there i can't even say it <laughs> I almost said something bad, didn't I? Yeah, I think you keep doing that this well, week. Well, it's because of the way that they make me feel, yeah. <laughs> frankly. Well, I didn't realise it was so emotional. Oh, it is emotional. Um, now, we have two winners of this Nets Award, so it's been divided up into categories. Julia Hartley Brewer wins the Perrier for Wrong Namer of the Week, over 50s category. Blimey. Famous Eamon Holmes, live at Drive from 4 o'clock. Mike Graham from 10, of course. Mike Graham? I like that. I think we could go with that. <laughs> Mike Graham, that's his new name. Mike Graham. I don't mind it. Mike Grime, yeah, it's got grime. a ring to it. You take the H out, though. Grime. 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 Oh, no. Sort of Australian <laughs> pronunciation. Mike Grime. How are you doing, mate? And talk radio reporter Emily Rose Adams yes. wins uh, the wrong name of the week, under 50. Also, last night they had a People's Assembly here where they had TV presenter Chris Packman was speaking. Loads of other things were going on. <laughs> Chris, Chris Packman. Well, funnily enough, he appeared on the afternoon Did show he? with Alexis Conrad and TV Kev. Shall we listen to a clip? Yes, do it. Joining us now, as I say, in the studio is the uh, one and only Chris Packham, TV's top wildlife expert. Packham. Before we get on to uh, a whole range of uh, climactic issues, um, tell us about the steps that we can take in our own homes that would make such a difference to the environment. Yeah. I see what you did there. Yes. Uh, well done. Philosopher of the Week now. You've won it, Mike, for your unique interpretation of the great question, what came first, the chicken or the egg? Yes. But, I mean, it probably makes perfect sense, doesn't it? Why would you feed something to a chicken and then eat the chicken when you could have eaten the thing that you fed the chicken in the first place? Presumably, if you didn't feed the chicken, the chicken wouldn't live and the chicken would die. So you wouldn't be a chicken in the first place. Do you see what I'm saying? Difficult, isn't it? This is talk radio. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I've been doing a lot of that lately, just kind of going off on a sort of tangent of... Starting point, sentences, you don't know where they're going to end. Pointlessness, it's great fun. Um, our next award was won by two people, so again, it's been split into two categories. Superintendent Sarah Johnston, uh, Johnson sorry, from the Northamptonshire Police wins the Perrier for Wrong Timer of the Week, police category. Superintendent Johnson, very good afternoon to you. 
Good morning. <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing like it. Uh, the old ones are the best ones. And substitute newsreader Toby Gillis wins the Perry for wrong timer of the week. Non-police category. Headlines. Good uh, morning, I should say. Michelle Barnier. <laughs> Couldn't remember. Good what? Um, Good God. And whilst we're on the... Um, I'm sticking with newsreaders, sorry. Uh, Rachel, Have you lost your place? Yep, Rachel Jewell once again <laughs> wins the newsreader of the week. Excellent. And check down the back of the sofa because someone has won the biggest ever... Britain has become the... Uh, has a biggest ever lottery winner, if I can spit it out. <laughs> Oh, poor Rachel. Uh, she took a couple of days off after that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Shame. She's still recovering. Yeah. Um, and whilst we're on the subject, Mike, mm. uh, you've beaten that last clip to win Misspeak of the Week. I think you had something else on your mind. Yeah, what up? Because not. the whole thing about co- drinking cocktails is, is the experience of it, isn't it? What? Did you not hear it? Play it again. Play it again. Yeah, what up? Because the whole thing about co- drinking cocktails is, is the experience of it. You've got a filthy mind, haven't you? No. Well, I don't see how a Listen, male you're the chicken one that, you're would the drink one, cocktails. You're the one that ended up going out on a date with old, uh, what's his face, <laughs> Monsieur Cointreau. Yes. Didn't Monsieur, you? How did that uh, go? He, he entertained me last night did at he? Uh, a very nice hotel in West London. Very me nice. and my girlfriend. Yeah, it's lovely. Ha- oh, yeah, all three of you? Yeah, yeah. Wow. Delicious. Not just the breakfast show, then. <laughs> <laughs> Carry on. <laughs> What's wrong with you? Get on with it. <laughs> that was, so, as I said, that was during our interview with Mr. Alfred Quantro, yeah. sixth-generation family Monsieur. member of the Quantros. Uh, mm. Yes, he also won uh, yesterday Fake News of the Week. And Quantro, the family, is interesting as well. They were set up this whole thing in about 1849 exactly. in France in a distillery. But it, your family originally were bakers, I understand. Exactly. We created another speciality of France. We created La Baguette. Okay. No, I'm kidding. We didn't create La Baguette. <laughs> See, I would have bought that. I would have believed you. I thought he was... You know, I had no I reason to disbelieve him. Well, yeah. Anyone French that says they invented the baguette, <laughs> yeah. fine. It all adds up. Yeah. Um, It's very foggy in London as well. (laughs) And also, a bit of insider gossip for you. Mm. Uh, Despite making a margarita for you yesterday, Mike, he, uh, Monsieur uh, Quantra... Monsieur. Monsieur, whatever. Monsieur. uh, uh, (laughs) Dear God. Didn't bring any tequila in, did Did he? he? Uh, Despite the fact he made a margarita, which, of course, is the main agreement. No, he had no tequila. Instead, he opted just to win the sound effect of the week. So, 30 ml of Quantra... 50 ml of tequila. Yeah. Okay. And See, that was a good sound. I, wasn't that the tequila <laughs> pouring into the glass? Yeah, that was it. it was just, he one? just thought he'd make the noise instead because oh. it was radio and he could okay. get away with it. Cool. Uh, Mike, you also have you won... You invented the baguette as well. <laughs> yeah, that's correct. Uh, you also, good memory. Mm. Funnily enough, you've won Memory of the Week. There we are. 0344 First up, though, uh, it is the travel guru of all travel gurus. It is Simon. Uh, it is, of course... Um, um, who is it? It's, <laughs> it's Simon Calder. That's who it is. The worst um, thing about that, name is pretty for some reason. It's written down written in front down of me. Written down right in front of you. Unbelievable. Uh, and finally, impression of the week. A uh, bit of a groundbreaker for this one. It goes to James Whale for his take from his show, the first attempter of yours truly, myself. And his producer, is a bit of a wet what's it as well, uh, rang me today said, would you like to come on Mike's programme? That's how he speaks. Would you like to come on Mike's programme and talk about boldness? <laughs> I don't think that was you that rang him. No. Did you get somebody from the north to ring him? No, I, I, I did ring him, so he was trying to do an impression of me. I think he gets his producers mixed up, doesn't he? Well, do you know, he's gone through quite a lot of them, hasn't yeah, he? Yeah, yeah, and they're not, yeah, they don't, don't last why, long No, with they don't, no. really. Um, why is that? 
I have no idea. You'll have to ask someone who's... Okay. Um, I'll ask Ryan, that bloke with the funny walk. Yeah, is that his producer this yeah, week? I think okay. so, yeah. <laughs> um, that's it for the Perry Awards, I'm about to say. Marvelous. There will be more at the same time next week. Thank you. <laughs> the Perrier Awards on Talk Radio. The UK online and on DAB, the Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1 Monday to Friday on Talk Radio via DAB online or via the Talk Radio app. If you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. 